I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 6. Everybody okay? Every heart clear today? Amen. Amen. So good to have Pastor Edgar back leading our worship arts team. We missed him. Greg did a great job, but we missed him greatly. As you turn with me to John chapter 6, we're going to cut right to the chase to a deep theological question that I need you to think of with me this morning. Do you ever come to the time when you have not had anything to eat and you are so hungry that your stomach growls so loud that someone asks you, excuse me, because they think that you asked them something? Have you ever had that happen to you? Do you ever find yourself getting so hungry that your stomach begins to growl and you get a little bit grumpy when it's been too long and you haven't had something to eat? Anybody like that? By a show of hands, if, if you get that way, if you don't have something to eat, and you get a little grumpy, raise your hand. If someone sitting next to you gets really grumpy and they don't eat, when they don't eat, raise your hand. Okay, good. How many of you feel that right now? You're in danger of being grumpy because you're just hungry. Okay, very good. One more food question for you. I want you to think with me. If you could have one food that you could eat for the next three years, but it was only that food that you could eat. That's it. One, one item of food you could eat, but it's all you would eat for the next three years. I want you to think. Uh, turn to the person to your left and your right. I want you to ask them, what food would you choose? And then you share yours. And your marks get set. You have 19 seconds. Go for it. All right. Very good. Just uh, by, by a shout out, uh, what, what, what did you hear? What did the person tell you? They wanted to have what to eat? Chocolate. Pizza. <laughs> Lucky Charms. I love it. Very good. Very good. You know, it, it's amazing the things that, that sound good for one meal, but to think that you would eat it over and over and over, it's kind of interesting. You know, if you think about it, so much of our life revolves around food. Uh, some of us in an unhealthy way, maybe, but others, even in a healthy way, we gather together around food. As we kick off a new series this morning entitled Come Hungry, I want this to permeate deeper than just your gut, more than just a temptation for lunch to come early. I want us to be thinking about these significant moments that not only happen in our life around a meal, but what happens in Scripture that's very significant around a meal. If we look through the life of Christ in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the things you'll find is many significant moments that take place around a meal. So the next couple of weeks, I want you to pull up a chair to the table with me, and we join in listening in to Jesus around the meal times. In John chapter 6, it's the first meal that we're going to study together in this brief series. It's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and of course John. There are 5,000 people who are gathering there for this meal. 5,000 men, actually. So some scholars think there may be 12, 13,000 people when you add the women and children together. No doubt this is a passage of Scripture you've heard about before. You've even talked about it a few weeks ago. But here's what happened. Jesus has been teaching for a while, and this huge crowd is listening, and they begin to have their stomach grumble and growl. 
We had a great time this Thursday morning with uh, our first men's gathering in rush hour. And it's a dangerous thing to talk to a group of men at 6.30 in the morning if we haven't had donuts. Stomachs begin to growl and it's hard to hold attention. But uh, when you notice that there's a group of people and you're trying to talk to them and they're hungry, you've you got to figure out a plan to eat. And so this is where Jesus is at and he is talking to them. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 5 and 7 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now John, who's writing this Gospel, he puts this, and this is interesting, he says Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, Jesus tests us sometimes to see where our faith is. So Jesus knows what he's going to do, but he asks Philip to see where his faith is. So look at Philip's answer in verse 7. People are hungry. Jesus says, what are we going to do? And he says, shouldn't we have something for them to eat? Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. Now, I love this about Philip. Do you know people like him? They just do the math on things that don't work. Sometimes they feel like it's their life mission to tell you that things won't work. They're great bean counters, and they look at the situation, and they say, yeah, that's not going to work. It's just eight months' wages. If we even have that, we'd give people one bite. So Jesus is testing Philip's faith, and he says, no, it can't be done. I want you to think that, about that for a moment. What Philip has seen in the last number of months, he's witnessed Jesus turn water into wine. He's watched Jesus tell a lame man to get up and walk and he got up and walked and he was healed he had seen all these signs and miracles and yet philip says jesus what are we going to do about these hungry people there's nothing that we can do he's seen jesus work in powerful ways but it has not changed philip's vision of the world around him I think a lot of us can be like Philip this morning, and we need to pull up a chair to the table and get in close to Jesus around one of these mealtimes and see what he has to teach us. Maybe uh, some of us today are doing the math, and we're really honest. And I want us to be honest. This is a good place to be honest, amen? If we're really honest, we say, I- I'm doing the math, and yeah, I just don't see it working. I just don't. See this working out. You feel that Jesus has told you what he wants to do. Jesus told Philip what he wanted to do, and he's like, but the math doesn't work. Maybe you sense God speaking to you about adopting a child. And you pray about it, and you, you think about it, and you say, you know what? I, it's just not practical for me. It just, when I do the math, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to work out. Maybe uh, he's been speaking to you about your marriage that is rocky and it's bumpy and he's wanting you to seek some help together to grow deeper together and, and, and you look at it and you say, you know, I, the math just doesn't add up. I, I just don't think that this is going to work. Jesus, I've seen you do a lot of things, but I'm not so sure about this. It, maybe it even could be for our church that maybe God is calling us to some more radical ways of reaching out to people or calling us radical ways to feed those who are spiritually and physically hungry around us. And maybe we look at it and we say, well, Jesus, uh, I mean, this is a good idea and everything, but it's just not in the budget. It just doesn't, just doesn't seem to add up. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. This is important for us to start here at the beginning of a mealtime with Jesus. When Jesus says what... 
It's not time for us to really get caught up in the how. And I'm not calling for us to be irresponsible. But we need to understand who's speaking to us. When Jesus says what, it's not time for us to get caught up in the how. Well, I want you to do this. Well, well, how, Jesus? How's that possible? How's that going to work? When Jesus speaks, we get so caught up in the how that we miss the what. Philip's response is, hey, if we have eight months wages, we could get everybody just one bite. But there's another disciple who joins the conversation here. He picks up on what Jesus wants to do, and he brings a little boy over to Jesus. And he says, I, I, I don't know all the conversation, but I heard Jesus that you're talking about needing something to feed people. And, and he brings this little boy, Billy, up to Jesus. And he says, well, here, here's the lunchbox, and, and if you open it up, Billy's got uh, two or five loaves of, of bread and, and two fish. And some of you right now, you're looking at your scripture to find Billy. It's not in there. It's made it up. If you're reading the message, it's still not in there. I just made that up. I didn't make the rest of this part up. But, but no doubt, he brought the boy, and, and he had a name, and they could call him out by name. And, 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 and he says, here's what we have found. You've you got to imagine, there's the 12,000 people around, and, and bringing this boy's lunch seems silly. But as they saw five loaves and two fish, Jesus looks at it and he says, I, I can do the math, and you know what, I can, I can do something with that. Look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Now, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, you may want to underline that. As much as they wanted. Now, for us in Western culture, it doesn't seem very much of a big deal to eat as much as we wanted. Some of us work real hard to not eat as much as we want. But in that day, this could quite possibly be the first time for many of them to eat as much as they wanted. They were stuffed. They were full. And they lived in a world where hunger was more than just something they saw on the clock. It was something that had pain in their belly. Not for all, but for some, they walked through very serious things that the rest of the globe today still understands, but in Western culture, we don't quite get it. One of the few things that I think would come to your mind, or one of the first things I should say, if you were pulling up a chair to the meal table with Jesus, and you're watching this whole thing take place, he's testing the faith of Philip, he's now watching this little boy come forward, he prays, he blesses it, and he feeds everybody, and they ate as much as they wanted. I don't think you could get away from that meal experience without seeing that Jesus can do a lot with a little. Uh, you say, well, that kind of sounds trite, and that kind of sounds like something I've heard before. And Friend, look at God's Word. Jesus can do a lot with a little. This kind of runs all throughout Scripture, and it's kind of a theme throughout the Bible. He is constantly doing a lot with a little. Jesus is born into a small town in Galilee. Well, why not Jerusalem? Why not some bigger place? Because he can do a lot with a little. And a mother is chosen for Jesus, a, a poor teenage girl named Mary, who's not even married. She wasn't very educated. She wasn't well-connected. Why not somebody with a higher standing? Because Jesus can do a lot with a little. He chose his disciples out of a group of fishermen. These were guys that 
were following the family business. They flunked out of rabbinical school. They were not key leaders or influencers in the kingdom, but he chose them. Why? Because Jesus has a theme that runs throughout Scripture. He can do a lot with a little. You see, Jesus is constantly in the Gospels taking something that we think is insignificant and bring something very significant out of it. If you're here this morning, as we're just getting warmed up, you may need to identify yourself as one of the billies in the room. You may say, what I have doesn't amount to much. It's just a few loaves of bread and a few fish in the midst of a huge problem where the math doesn't add up and people are telling me that around. But if Jesus can do a lot with a little in the little boy with the lunch's life, in Mary's life, in the church's life, maybe there's hope for me today. Look at verse 24. Jesus feeds this great crowd of people, and later that night, Jesus walks across the water, literally, to a city called Capernaum. He's with his 12 disciples, and he wakes up the next morning, and he looks around for Jesus, or they look around for Jesus. These people wake up, and they don't see Jesus there, and they go searching for him, and they press in close, and they've got to find this man who fed them all that they could eat the next day. Look at verse 24. It says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum to search for Jesus. So they're looking for Jesus after this feeding of the five or 12,000. Why? It's breakfast time. I mean, if you've been hungry and you were fed and it's time to eat again, you want to find that guy again. So look in verse 26. They catch up to Jesus in Capernaum, and here's what Jesus says to them. Very truly, I tell you. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs. You're not looking for me because you believed in me, because you think I'm the Son of God. You are not looking for me because you think I'm the one sent from heaven. But look, it's not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You just want more bread, in essence, Jesus is saying. You just want more food for your stomach. That's why you're seeking me. And I think the question for us today is we dive into this new look at what Jesus is doing around mealtimes. Is we need to ask this question. Are we here for what Jesus can do for us or do we want more of Jesus? When you come to gather and worship and we're coming hungry together, are you coming to church because of what Jesus can do for you? Or are you coming to church because you want more of Jesus? So, well, I haven't thought about that. Well, I want you to think about it for a little bit. Sometimes I feel convinced that we come looking for the next spectacle sideshow that Jesus could do in our life. Many of us, we get drawn into the Christian faith because of the perks that we see. I want to get close enough to Jesus to get that get-out-of-hell-free card. I want to get close enough to Jesus to get my family back in order and to get some things right that I want to have. But I don't want to do anything that causes me to sacrifice. I don't want to do anything that causes me to move a position. I just want to get close enough to get from Him what I want. So here's what Jesus does. He's going to use a metaphor, and this is going to lead to the heart of what we're talking about today. And it's a metaphor of food and hunger. He wants to draw attention to this deeper issue. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. All the people who were there, they were thinking about a physical hunger. And he begins to talk about a deeper hunger. 
This metaphor for food is the bread of life. Write that in, the bread of life. There's a few things we need to look at here as we, we point this out. The bread for them and their meal was not the thing that came out before the main course. It wasn't the basket of bread that came at the restaurant and we just butter it up and just kind of whet our appetite before we get to the real food. It was the primary source of sustenance for them. Another important thing is bread then and now was available to everyone. Now it says that there were five barley loaves and the the wealthy would have probably wheat bread and the poor would have barley bread, but but all had bread available to them. And so Jesus is literally saying to you, I am the bread of life. I am the primary source of sustenance for you. And I am available to everyone. They're kind of staring at him. Okay, fine. We're hungry. We want something to eat. And then pretty soon they're beginning to see that this is not just about food. It's about something more. They begin to grumble and They're not so excited because they begin to see he's making claims about himself and the sideshow is gone and now there is something that is costing them more. But in John 6, 47 through 51, Jesus pushes this even further. Look what he says. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, and I will give for the life of the world. And as if it's not pushed far enough, in verse 53, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, clearly, Jesus is using some physical concepts to communicate this spiritual truth. And for us today, it just seems a little strange to be saying you've got to eat of this flesh, you've got to drink of this blood. And this is not that strange, though, if you would think about our speech patterns today. If somebody is really into something, they're really into football, they're really into sports, you'd say they eat and drink football. They eat and drink shopping. They eat and drink their work. They just consume it. This is what Jesus is doing here. Could quite possibly be reflecting to some things a little bit later on, leading to the table. But they are being consumed by him. That's the way you have life. He gives warning. He says, some of you, you just worry about food that spoils. And he gives a warning in verse 27 about food that spoils. I think a lot of us today, we need to look what the Bible teaches about what hunger is in our soul. We begin to open up the menu and we begin to look at the menu on things that are offered there. And, and we begin to get hungry. And I want you to picture yourself. This is a dangerous thing to do this morning, I realize. To get you to think about food at this time and we're not quite done yet Uh, but i want you to imagine with me that you are at your favorite restaurant and the menu's open and and you're you haven't eaten all day and you're just starving and you begin to look at the menu and everything looks good i mean everything looks good it's just you 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 think you're going to order this and you can order that and and you're so hungry and you begin to salivate and and you just get so hungry This is who Jesus is talking to. These people are so hungry, but yet he says, you have spoiled your appetite. You've been stuffed with things that are not so good. Here's what we've got to see. We can be stuffed without being satisfied. 
You could fill yourself with all kinds of food, but it not really satisfy you. Now, how many remember when we were kids, and, and maybe you've said this to your kids, and they come to you at the most inopportune time, and they want a snack, like 15 minutes before dinner. I need something to eat. I need something to drink. I need a snack. And, and mom often says, no. Why? You'll spoil your dinner. Church, as we look at what Jesus is teaching us, he can do a lot with a little bit. He has something for us, but we can be so stuffed that we're not able to be satisfied. See, we find ourselves in situations where we have taken in so much junk food that there's just no room left to be hungry for God. We begin to look at the things on the menu and, and there's all kinds of stuff that we could partake of, but we need to be careful what we take in because we could spoil our appetite. There's a few things that the Bible would warn us on the menu. It's those decadent desserts. It's that chocolate fudge brownie with chocolate on it and ice cream and more chocolate on it. It's so good. But it, it can spoil everything else you're going to have. We begin to fill ourselves and our life with things that have a sugar rush for a moment, but they begin to leave us empty. Some of those things, I think, would be, uh, in our day, the hedonism. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If this is what brings me pleasure today, I'm going to do it. And we recognize that as some things that need to be left off the menu. But there's another thing that we order on the menu that, that Jesus wants us to kind of be afraid of or, or, or be aware of. That we could be stuffed with and not be satisfied. I think it's the vegetable platter. Anybody who orders this is trying to be good. You don't really want that. You're trying to impress somebody when you order the vegetable platter. Maybe not. Maybe you don't like meat. But I think this, at least in my mind, for my taste buds, this is a lot like religion. We find ourselves not being satisfied. and We've tried everything that pleases us. And so we go to the other end of the spectrum and we begin to take in things of religion. And I'm going to do more stuff for God. And I'm going to be better for God. And I don't know that I really want this, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to choke it down. And somebody this week brought in a, uh, a bunch of artichokes. And I've never seen those. Like they grow in like a horn looking thing. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody seen this? I'm a city boy. You're all looking at me like, well, duh, of course it does. I saw this and there was one, two, three, there was a bunch of them. I thought, that's a bunch of nasty right there. It's gross. <laughs> and they had good intentions and I, I'm thankful for whoever brought it in, but it's a bunch of nasty. I have no idea why I told you that. I just want to tell you that. No. There's the vegetable platter, things that we just don't really like, we don't really want, but, but we feel like if I just choke it down, it's going to do some good. And we begin to stuff ourselves with religion and it doesn't satisfy either. Jesus is asking us, you feel so empty and you wonder why. Why don't you look at what I'm telling you? I am the bread of life. I am the primary source of sustenance in your life. I'm available to everyone. Now, I love how the message paraphrase puts this in Isaiah 55, verse 2. I want you to look this up later. I'll read it to you. It paraphrases this verse like this. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me. Listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself only with the finest. We have filled ourselves with junk food. There's just no room left to be hungry for God. I think uh, if we're honest, we talk about being hungry for God and coming into his presence hungry for him. We're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. But we really have to address the issue that some of us just aren't hungry. 
We're going to be talking about what it means to be hungry for God and, and taking in things of God and being ready to worship God and come all pumped up and ready to praise Him, not just to get it a, a spiritual goose bump, but because we want to have more of Jesus. But I, I'm just not that hungry for God. I just I don't really want more of God. We, we don't, wouldn't want to say it out loud because it sounds unspiritual, but this is exactly where I think some of us are at. And I believe God is asking us to take a challenge. And I want you to take this challenge with me over the next number of weeks. And I anticipate you're just going to think about it today, but I want to ask you to commit to it over the next couple of weeks. You see, if I'm, I'm not hungry for God, here's what we've got to do. You need to take some things off your plate to create room for hunger for God to develop. For you, maybe it's going to take one day a week that you're going to fast. You're going to allow some physical hunger pains to remind you of how hungry you need to be for God. Maybe you need to take Facebook off the menu and you're going to take back a few moments of time and say, where instead of getting caught up on everybody else and getting them all caught up on what I'm doing, just this week I'm, I'm going to spend time creating some space to be hungry for God. I want to maybe put it this way for us. You see, what we eat determines what we are hungry for. Another way is, you show me your diet and I'll show you your appetite. You see, Pastor Brady, where are you going with this this morning? We're talking about a little boy who brings his, his, his food to Jesus and he does a lot with a little bit. And, and, and the, the disciples, some of them got it and others didn't. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. People ate the food he had. They saw the miracles. The signs and wonders were amazing things. And the next morning, they just wanted more food from him. He said, didn't you see? I, there's something far better than just this physical food. I have life for you. And they just said, uh, how, about, how about another uh, one of those miracles? But I have life for you. I have bread. You'll never hunger or thirst again. Well, I'm not so sure I'm hungry for that. If that is you, we need to look at what we eat. It determines what we're hungry for. What do you consume in your life? What, what, what do you spend your time taking in? What do you feast on? I'm not just talking about getting your gold stars on the chart of coming to church, but I want to ask you what gets your heart excited When's the last time your heart got excited to spend time with God in prayer? When's the last time your heart got excited to have some moments to linger with God? Oh, my goodness. I'm not done with that, but we need to move on. We need to clear our plate and create some room for God to give us an appetite for Him. One principle that I can't leave out this morning when we begin to take things off our plate, it's amazing to me the temptation we have to take items off our plate that seem to be the easiest to remove. We begin to take things off the plate like our daily devotions or our Bible reading or, or our Sunday school or small group time. We begin to take off the plate our consistency in gathering with the body of Christ in worship. Or we begin to take off our plate the opportunity to serve in ministry. I hear excuses like this all the time. I just need to take a break to spend some time with my family. I just need to take a break to, to rest. I just need to take a break to, to have a little bit more work. And friend, I want to remind you that if you are trying to make some room for God, heaven's sake, don't take things off your plate that are a spiritual growth engine for you. How often do we clean our plate of television consumption? How often do we clean our plate of procrastination and time wasting? How often do we clean our plate of 
our investment in sports or extracurricular activities. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but if we need to create some space for God to give us some hunger for Him, let's look at all the areas. Family time is interesting. <laughs> We're so on time. But church, I, I, I don't... I don't feel like uh, I need to end yet because we're not done. So if you need to slip out for responsibility, I, I respect that. But we need to hear a little bit more of this today. In family time, sometimes we begin to tell ourselves some things that, that, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I believe in families. I believe God's called us to be leaders of our family. In fact, men, if you haven't joined us at 6.30 on Thursday mornings, I want you to join us. We're talking about what it means to be courageous men, and we're learning how to lead our families. That's an important thing. But one of the lies the enemy tells us is, well, why don't you spend more time with your family and just cut out some of these things that are growth avenues that God wants to use in your life? Do you know you can spend more time with your family doing more or less of anything. You could spend more time with your family fighting. You could. You could spend more quality family time being disobedient to God. That's possible. You could spend more time with your family chasing and making an idol of something other than God. You could spend more time with your family staring each other in the face, ignoring each other. Just because you're in the same room doesn't mean that you're growing together. And God says, I want you to clean some things off your plate so we can have a hunger for him. John six sixty six. Jesus shares this, and it's even less popular than it is right now this morning. Here's what it says. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. There are many people who want to follow Jesus, not just for the bread of life, but for the butter and the honey. And friends, I want to challenge you over the next number of weeks. We're going to dive in and we're going to allow ourselves to get really hungry. And we're going to let God give us an appetite for a passion for Him. But it's, it can't be confused with what more butter and honey. We went over to a friend's house this uh, last week, I think it was, and uh, they wanted to be a, a surrogate grandma to our daughter, Caden. And uh, when Caden asked for a second roll, they said, oh, you can have five. This is a blessing to a father's heart. And Caden took them up on that offer and took five rolls. But as I noticed, Caden didn't really like the bread so much. She just put so much butter on there. It was just nasty to me. I don't like butter. And you could put all kinds of stuff on there. And, and I began to wonder, do you even like bread or you just want to eat a stick of butter? And I think Jesus is looking at us, church, and he says, do you really want more of me, or do you just want more of what you think I can do for you? Well, we're going to talk about what that means and where God takes us and getting hungry, but we have to start with understanding, I just don't know if I'm hungry for God like that. Now, we don't say it that way. You know what we say? That's just not my vein. I just don't walk with those mystic weirdos. Is it weird to want more of God? Is it mystical to want more of God? When I read scripture, people want to get close to Jesus. So close, if they touched, touched his, his clothing, they'd have healing. That's kind of mystical. I'm telling you, it's in God's word. And God says, I want you to hunger and thirst for me. But we have to look at what junk food we have crammed in. We are so stuffed, church. But we may not have a hunger for God. And I want you to take this challenge with me. And with this, I'll be through. What would it look like for you and I to clean some plate, some place off of our plate, not removing spiritual growth engines, but good things 
that are not bad, but to say, God, I want to create some margin. As the missionaries talk about rice Christians, they would come into an area, and when they would have rice to give, everybody would want to know about Jesus. And when the rice was gone, they didn't have very many people who wanted to know about Jesus. I'm not so sure in Western culture we're that much different. As long as the music is the way I want it, as long as Pastor Edgar does what I want him to do, as long as Pastor Trey puts on the program I want him to, as long as people keep doing these things, then I really like learning from God. Really? What if God wants to do something different for you today? Pastor, you need to be done. I'm kind of tired of this. I love you so much, I want to let you say that to me. Because this is a place of honesty. John chapter 6, verse 66. They not so sure that they wanted to follow him. Jesus turns to his disciples a few verses later and he says, Do you too want to leave? I don't know if Jesus asked that in aggravation, in disappointment. But Jesus was saying, It's a great ride. But you've got to get hungry for the right things. Father, I thank you for what you want to do in our midst. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters. So many are wanting to press in, and their heart is hungry for more of you. God, I pray that you will reveal to us this week how we could take up your challenge to clean some things off our plate, to create room for you to move, God. I pray that you'll be with my brothers and sisters who are so hungry, some who feel like little Billy, they've got nothing to offer. But God, I pray that they will take their loaves and their fish and watch you turn it into the bread of life. Sustenance for them that's available to everyone. We love you, Jesus. Now, as we're about eight minutes off our schedule today, I pray that you'll take us two and three and four hours out of our way. I pray that you'll begin to break in at lunch break in this afternoon. God, maybe rob us of our nap time today and create some hunger in our gut for you. But God, we confess that what we're really hungry for is what we've been eating. And so God, if there's not a deep desire in our heart for more of you, I pray that you will put your thumb on our back and show us some things that's in our diet that needs to go. It may be not of you, it may be an amoral issue, but it's just we're spoiling our appetite for you. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Amen.